All right, we're going to jump into the message this morning. We are in a series currently called How Do I? How do I? How many DIYers do we have in the room, right? You don't want to pay somebody to fix something. You want to try it yourself, mainly because you're cheap like me, right? Like we don't want to pay somebody else to do something we can do ourselves. We like DIY. So we get on YouTube or we get on Google and we start typing in how do I fix? And then you insert here and you can find how to fix a lot of things. And then when you do it really wrong, then you can call on the professional, right? So you're trying to work on your car, you do it wrong, then you call Buddy Allen and he does it right. But in the meantime, you try to do it yourself. Well, there's a lot of things in life that we try to fix, that we try to cover on our own, that we can't figure out the answer for on YouTube or on Google. But thankfully, the Word of God has answers to the complex issues of life. And last week, we started asking the question, how do I know the will of God for my life? And the answer in Scripture is your sanctification. That is the will of God for your life. It is your sanctification. The Lord wants you to be more like Jesus today than you were yesterday, and he wants to be more like Jesus tomorrow than you are today. That's his will for your life. And today, we're going to talk about our finances. How do I manage my money? How do I get unstrapped financially? How do I take what comes into my house, and how do I manage it in such a way that I am able to be prosperous with what God has brought to me? That's what we're going to talk about today. And this covers really every age demographic. It doesn't matter if you are a young person in our room today. Someday, you are going to want to not be broke, right? Well, you need to learn the principles of how God intended for us to handle our money. Maybe there's some of us in here that we're so broke, we eat our milk with a fork so we don't use, or our cereal with a fork so we don't use too much milk. Have you ever been there? Or you live off of, you know, okay, so it was only me. Um, I've been poor before. Um, where you eat with, uh, you only eat, you know, frozen waffles and Hot Pockets. Have you ever been there? Because it's cheap, right? That happens sometimes. But then there's others of us that sometimes we're just really not very smart with our money. How many of you have ever done stupid stuff with your money? That's me. I'll raise my hand because I've done dumb things or I haven't been wise. I've never really considered myself to be broke. I've always considered myself just to be really cheap. I was thinking about how cheap I've always been over my life. And when I graduated out of high school, uh, I lived in Western Oklahoma and the oil field was just booming. So everybody had really well-paying jobs, even if you weren't very smart, which worked out very good for me, okay? And so um, I was working at this welding shop and I was making really, really good money. In fact, I started figuring it up. I was making about $55,000 a year as a 19, 20 year old and I was living in an apartment for free. So I should have had some money, but I didn't. I slept on an air mattress that leaked every night. So every night I would lay on this air mattress. It would start with air and then by the morning I would be on the ground and I was too cheap to go buy a new one. I could have bought a board or something to slip on because the, the apartment had no insulation underneath. And so I took, a, I took a heated blanket and I put it on top of the air mattress just so I wouldn't freeze to death. And then I lay on top of the ground uh, by morning. How stupid is that? But that's how, I, that's how I handled my finances for a long time, right? Because I didn't have any wisdom when it came to money. And the reality is a lot of us, when we start looking, we, we, we wake up and we say, how 
am I supposed to manage this money? Because money can be very stressful for us. And so a lot of people are walking around asking, how do I get unstrapped for cash? How do I go from living from paycheck to paycheck? How do I take time and budget properly in order to not feel so stressed about the finances that I have been given to me? The the truth of the matter is, is that for quite a long time in our marriage, Charity and I, money was month to month. We just seemed to spend every dollar that came in, and we never had enough. And perhaps you're that way. You have been there yourself. Charity and I, we, we had decent jobs. We were making decent money, but we never seemed to have anything to show for it. We knew how to spend every dollar, and we never knew where the money ended up. It just seemed to Houdini on us and disappear, and we could not figure out where that money was going. And it was very frustrating and added a lot of stress to our lives. And we lived that way for quite a while. And then about six years ago, I got a raise at the church I was working at, and Charity started working and teaching again. So we, our financial status should have shifted overnight, right? There was, a, there was a drastic difference from living on one income to going to two incomes, but still we spent every dollar we had. And this brought even more frustration to my life. And then one day I had a realization, and that realization was this. I was not being disciplined with the finances that God was bringing me. I was not living according to the biblical principles of wealth. And so I started getting some coaching on those biblical principles. And it was amazing when you live according to God's word with your finances, how things change. And so God brought our finances into alignment with his word. And the, 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 the results are nothing short of a blessing. Are we rich? Of course not. Not by any means. Do we have everything we want? Not even close. But what we do have is God has blessed our lives and he's always provided for our needs. And there is no doubt that his hand has been upon our finances when we are obedient to doing what he's called us to do. And I imagine many of you in this room feel or have felt the same way that Charity and I have felt or had felt for a long time. It feels like every month we're just trying to make ends meet. We're just trying to make sure that we can get to the next paycheck. And it seems like every time we start to get ahead a little bit, the car breaks down or one of the kids gets sick or the tax man comes, right? There's always something that seems to be sucking life from our finances. And there seems to be for many people that there is no legitimate hope of getting a little nest egg together to have some financial security in life. Now, if you feel that way this morning, you are in a really good group, statistically speaking. Consumer debt in the United States is upwards of around $14 trillion. Think about that. That's a lot of money. $14 trillion on stuff. We have $14 trillion in iPhones and and in TVs and in furniture that we are all paying on right now in America. According to a report by the Federal Reserve in 2018, 40% of Americans would need to borrow money to cover a $400 emergency bill that came up. And what this teaches us is that a lot of us are walking around month to month, paycheck to paycheck, with a lot of debt, barely making it. And this is suffocating for a lot of us. This is an overwhelming experience in life. However, today, I want to tell you that there is hope because God did not intend for us to walk around broke. God did not intend for us to walk around broke. 
God intended for us to walk around with our supply met and our needs met. God intended to provide for us through his provision. But here's the key. Here's what I want you to understand. God's provision always comes through God's principles. I want that to sink in for you this morning. If you want God's provision upon your life, then you have to live according to the principles that God has laid out in his word. So when we exercise those principles, when we practice those principles, when we live out those principles, then we can trust that God will always bring his provision when we need it. We need to understand that the Bible has a lot to say about how we should manage our finances and our money. In fact, there's so much. Normally, I have you stand up and read as we read our opening verse, but today you can just take a break because we have so much to read because God's Word says so much about how He intends for us to live, but also how He intends to provide. And so today, we're going to look through a lot of different scripture, and we're going to see those principles of how we can honor God with our finances and allow Him to be the provision. Now, before we jump into specific principles that we should live by, before we jump into specific applications, we need to see what God's Word has to say in general when it comes to money and wealth. Here's the truth that we need to keep in the back of our minds. In Scripture, money is often referred to as wealth, so for our purposes this morning, we're going to be using the word wealth and money interchangeably because that's what the Word of God says. Now, here's something I want you to see right out of the gate. Wealth can be a blessing and it can be a curse. Wealth can be a blessing and it can be a curse. Proverbs 10, 15 says this, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now, this proverb is both positive and negative at the same time, and that is often what you will see when you start looking at the Word of God in relation to money and wealth. When the Scripture speaks of wealth, many verses speak of it positively. Also equally as important to realize is many verses speak of it negatively. In the Old Testament, the, uh, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, and the original word for wealth was something that was to be prized. It was something that you should prize in life. But there's also a warning against it. So what we see right out of the gate is that we should prize wealth, but we should not trust in wealth. And there's a world of difference when you prize it versus trusting in it. When you say, this is a good thing, but it's not my source of my security. This is a good thing, but this is not my God and my idol. We should prize it, but we should not trust in it. We should prize wealth, meaning having money to provide for the needs of life, the needs of our family, and to be generous in advancing the kingdom of God is a good thing. It is a good thing to be able to provide for your family. It is a good thing to meet your needs. It is a good thing to be generous to other people. It is a good thing to be able to sow into the advancement of the kingdom of God. That is a blessing, and to be able to do those things should be a prize for us. It should have some reward for us spiritually, knowing that we're able to meet our needs, to be generous, and to advance the kingdom of God. We understand that when we're talking about wealth, we are not talking about the biggest house on the block. We all know that. We're not talking about having the newest car or the most money. When we're talking about the prize of wealth, what we're talking about is provision. 
I'm sure if we took a poll here this morning, most of us would be uh, confidently say, God, as long as you met my needs and you allowed me to be generous to other people, that would be enough for me. And that is the prize that we're talking about. Equally understanding, we know that poverty is not a good thing. It is not a good thing to be in hunger. It is not a good thing to be in debt. It is not a good thing to not be able to contribute to the needs of others. And that's what you see in Proverbs. So half of the Proverbs speak positively when it comes to wealth, and half of the Proverbs speak negatively. So why is there a disparity? Why is there two uh, ends to this gulf, if you will? Well, the warning for us is that when we start going from prizing wealth to trusting in wealth, we misalign our resources and we turn our resources into our God. We see this play out in the American culture. A lot of people don't prize wealth, that they start trusting in it and it starts to become their God. What we see from the book of Proverbs is that wealth is a tool for righteousness or a tool for evil, and whoever holds it dictates how that tool is used. Wealth can be a blessing to your family, or it can be a ruin to your family. Probably if we went around the room, most of us have had experiences where other people, or we've experienced this in our own families, were ripped apart by finances. The reason why so many people get divorced in our country today is because of finances, So many families have been ravaged because of inheritance and finance. It's a real problem because wealth can be used, again, as a tool for righteousness or a tool for evil. Wealth can be a blessing or it can be dangerous in creating greed in our life. Wealth is the resource that's given by God or wealth becomes God to you. And you're the one and I'm the one that have to make the decision of how that's going to be. We have to be aware of the dangers of wealth. Wealth is an idol when it becomes your identity. Notice in this proverb I read to you a moment ago that it said, wealth is their city. Fortified cities are a sign of safety and security, and some people think that their money is a strong tower and their security. But what the scripture teaches us is that only one person is your strong tower and your security, and that is the Lord God. Your money can burn up in an instant. You can lose it in the breath of life, but God is your eternal source of strength. So wealth can become your idol, or wealth can reveal your idols. Proverbs 18.11 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. Wealth can create a false imagination inside of your life. Maybe money isn't your idol. Maybe you're not consumed with the idea of money, but you use money to buy the idols of your life. Maybe your idol is your image and your appearance, and so you'll spend more money than you should on clothing and things to change your appearance so that you can present yourself in a certain way. Maybe your idol is comfort and entertainment, so you spend way too much of your resources on your own pleasure. Maybe your idol is your status in life, so you buy a house or a car you can't afford just so you have the right status in the eyes of other people. Wealth can be the idol or wealth can reveal the idol. So when it comes to wealth, we have to see that it's a blessing from the Lord or to be prized when we live according to the principles that God has given us. When we get outside of those principles of money, then oftentimes wealth becomes the trap in the life of a believer. 
Now we have some biblical perspective on wealth. What are the principles that God has called us to live by so that we can prize it but not trust in it? What are the things that God has laid out in his word so that we can walk in the blessing of the resources that God has brought us, but we don't fall into the trap of those resources at the same time? Well, I want to give you some principles that I believe if you live by, you will see God's favor upon your finances. I truly believe if you live by these principles, you'll see a change in how your finances work. I believe that you'll see an upswing, if you will, because God is very clear in his word how we should live. And I can testify to you that when you live this way, you will see a huge difference in your life, even if your income doesn't change. Principle number one, if you want to get unstrapped financially, you have to manage the wealth with the right perspectives. You have to manage the wealth with the right perspectives. Now, the book of Proverbs recognizes four types of people when it comes to money. And every single one of us in this room are going to fall into one of these four categories. Which one are you in this morning? Let me give them to you. The first is the ungodly poor. Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So the Bible recognizes that there are some poor people, and the reason why they're poor is because they're living foolishly, and they're not living and honoring God with their life. At the same time, there's a second group of people, which is the godly poor. Proverbs 28, 6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in, in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. There are some people who love God, are doing the right thing, but they're never going to have a six-figure income. They're never going to have the biggest house on the street. And God says this, that's okay, because they're honoring me. It's better not to have everything in life and walk in integrity than to sell out and have the biggest house on the block. The third group is the ungodly rich. Proverbs 15, 27 says this, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. There are some people who are rich because they have lied, they've cheated, and they've compromised to get the money. There are some people who are rich because they've sacrificed everything, including their families, to get it. And that's not God honoring. And God says that's not good to be that way. There are people who have cheated on their taxes time and time again to have a little bit more. They have cheated other people out of what they owe them to have a little bit more. And God says that's greed and that's not good. But the fourth group of people is the godly rich. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. So this is quite a conundrum, isn't it? Because we have the ungodly poor, and we have the godly poor. We have the ungodly rich, and we have the godly rich. So what does this teach us about wealth? It teaches us this. Wealth is not the standard of success according to God. God doesn't define our success or our failure by our bank account. He doesn't define how good we are based upon how much money we have. A lot of people will look at their wealth and think that they have lived a good life. And God says, no, because you haven't honored me. At the same time, there's a lot of people who look at what they have and say, I must not have been successful because I don't have the same things that someone else has. And God's saying, no, that's not true either. Both of those are not God-honoring views and perspectives on money. Here's what God says is the definition of success. Righteousness and wisdom 
is the test of success. The first principle of wealth is that I have to put wealth in the right perspective and priority in my own life. Money is not as important as living wise and getting insight. Proverbs 16, 16 says, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Money seems like safety and comfort to our families, but without wisdom, it is dangerous and makes you less safe and less secure, both on earth and in eternity. So when I get the right perspective of wealth, I understand that wealth is a gift from God for his glory, but I need to seek wisdom and I need to seek understanding more than I need to seek a dollar. I need to seek how to honor God with my life more than I seek how to make another dollar. I need to seek how to walk in integrity and how to walk in righteousness more than I need to see how to make another dollar. Because from the biblical perspective, wisdom, when I live that way, often leads to riches. Proverbs 8, 17 through 19 says, I love those who love me. This is speaking wisdom. Wisdom is talking. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. So in our lives, when we choose to honor God with wisdom and integrity, when we choose to honor him with wisdom and understanding above all else, and we choose to chase after God in righteousness, what the scripture is saying is that there will be a, there will be a wealth, there will be riches that follow that. Now, is that a guarantee that you're going to have six-figure income? No, that's not what it's saying. But you're positioning yourself so that your priorities are right, that God's provision can come into your life. Because here's what we know. When we are not living with wisdom, understanding, and righteousness, we are out here doing our own thing, and we're not living under the umbrella of God's provision. Getting perspective right, getting priorities right, puts us under the umbrella of God's perspectives. We also need to understand that money is not as important as relationships. Proverbs 17.1 says, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of festing with strife. You, there could be festivities at your house. There could be a party, but if behind closed doors there's a bunch of strife, it's not good. He says it's better to be poor and live in a house of peace. Better to be poor and live in a house of quiet than it is to be feasting and festing and having a bunch of strife in your home. Relationships and family and community in the body of Christ are more valuable than any wealth that you can ever accumulate. So we have to give priority to investing in our family more than we have priority in investing in money. We have to prioritize investing in relationships over investing in dollars. Not only that, but money is more important, is not more important than character. Proverbs 28, 6 says, the better is the poor man who walks in integrity than the rich man whose ways are crooked. Having a fat, a fat bank account doesn't matter if you're morally bankrupt. If there's moral bankruptcy in your life, it doesn't matter what dollar you have. You have to make sure that you're honoring God with your life. So how do I check my spirit and make sure that I have a perspective, a healthy perspective on wealth? Well, it starts by understanding who you are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. In the economy of God, truth wealth is founded on the understanding of who you are in Jesus Christ. And once you understand 
understand that you're a spiritual billionaire, then no amount of money is going to be able to sabotage your life because you want to bring glory and honor to Jesus because he is your savior. He is everything in your life, and that puts wealth towards the bottom. Now it's in the right perspective. Now, before we move on, we need to also understand the, the reverse of this truth as well, because there's a, there's a reverse to this that we have to get in our, our, in our mind. If money isn't the litmus test for success, then we also need to know that this teaches us that poverty isn't about money, but it's about mindset. How we view our financial status and how we talk about it needs to also line up with the Word of God. And I'm concerned that at one time I was this way. I was concerned. When I first started out in ministry, my pastor used to correct me all the time because I constantly say, man, I'm just too poor to do anything. And he'd say, stop saying that. Don't have that mindset. Because he said, if you believe that about yourself, then you're always going to be poor. If you always talk about what you can't do or why you can't do it, then you're always going to be that way. See, that was my mindset, and that was contrary to the Word of God because the Word of God says that I'm rich in Christ. My wealth ultimately doesn't correspond back to a bank account. It corresponds back to who I am with Jesus Christ. Poverty in our country is very rarely related to bank accounts. In the United States, there are lots of options to have necessities met. However, it's the mindset that often holds a lot of us down, and I know that because I was there at one time in my own life. We cannot walk around with the feelings and the perspectives that we're poor because Jesus says that in him we are rich. Proverbs 10, 15, I want to read that verse to you again. It says, a rich man's wealth is a strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. We are rich in Christ. Therefore, we dishonor God when we're walking around with the poverty mindset. When we say things like, I work so hard, but I ain't going to be able to make it. I'm never going to be able to take a vacation. I can't afford to, to charge the full rate for my project because no one will ever pay me. You don't understand what it's like to struggle. When we have those things rolling through our minds, we're setting ourselves up for failure. We want to be a person who honors God and has the right perspective of wealth, but we insult the provision of God when we walk around with a poverty mindset. We have to make sure that we're saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to live according to your word and your principles, and I'm going to trust you for the provision. It keeps the priorities right. So principle number number one is managing wealth is about the right perspective. Principle number two is this. Diligent work is the pipeline for wealth. Digital, did. Diligent work is the pipeline for wealth. Proverbs 12, 24 says this, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. God's method to bringing wealth into your life is through work. God's method, God's pipeline for bringing wealth into your life is work. One of the fundamental aspects of the creation of humanity is that God created humans to work. God created us with gifts and talents and abilities, and he has required us to use those gifts and talents and abilities to provide for our basic needs in life. And the reason for this is because God himself is a worker. We, the very first thing we read about God is that he is working. 
We see that he creates the heavens and the earth, and, and he does work for six days, and then he rests on the seventh day. When Jesus was walking on earth, he was constantly talking about how he was busy doing the work of the Father. He says, the Father and I are constantly working. We need to be working while there is daylight. And so humans were created in the image and the likeness of God. Therefore, we were created to be workers. And one of the first commandments that God gave humanity was to take care of the garden and to be fruitful. And so he has placed within us the ability to be fruitful, and we are called to be fruitful. The scripture makes it very clear. It even says in the New Testament, if you do not work, you do not eat. And what this has created for us is the understanding that God did not intend for us to rely on someone else's provision. He intended for us us to rely upon our ability to work. Now, this principle is resisted by a lot of people because they hate the job that they are in. How many of you ever had a job that you hated? Right? I have been there. I've had jobs I have hated. My least favorite job, it was the right job at the time, was working at the police department as a dispatcher because I was stuck in a room for eight hours a day. It was miserable, okay? But it was the, it was the provision of God. And so even though I didn't like that job necessarily, I was thankful that God brought it because it brought the provision that I needed in that moment. And here's what we need to see is that God gave you your job and he's given you the ability to work. He's given you the mindset that if you don't like your job, you can increase in your skill. You can go back to school. You can do whatever it takes to maybe get a better job or a job that you do feel that you do enjoy and feel fulfilled in. God has brought those abilities to your life, but we have to be diligent in working that out. I want to encourage you that if you do have a negative outlook on your work, to have a spiritual overhaul of your view of working. Let me show you some ways. We need to be diligent in working. As this proverb says in, in 1224, it tells us to be diligent in working. Diligence and hard work is going to always be the pathway of success. Diligence and hard work is how you're going to accumulate wealth in your life. If you want to be poor, it's very easy. All you have to do is be lazy, right? Working with diligence gives a believer a sense of pride, accomplishment, and purpose. But laziness is the breeding ground for discontentment. Why? Because laziness and lazy people are often forced to do jobs that they always hate. Notice what this passage says. You work diligently or you're going to be forced to be a slave. Many people are forced into jobs that they hate because they don't diligently develop skills, diligently figure out how to get a better job, or they're lazy in their mindset, or they're thinking, and it holds them prisoners. I used to tell this to my youth students all the time. you got to be diligent in school because it's a practice for how you need to be in life. And we've been afforded, and we've been blessed an opportunity that and to live in America, we can do anything if we want to work for it hard enough. I'm fascinated by people. I like to study people. You start looking into people who have a lot of wealth, what you'll often find is they worked for it. There's kind of this false narrative in our culture that all rich people inherited their money. But when you really start looking at it, that's not the case. Most of those people worked really hard. Now, I'm not saying they always worked in a way that was God-honoring, because that happens from time to time, but they worked really hard. And so 
anybody has the ability, and what God's word is saying is diligent work, diligent hands bring wealth to your life. That is God's design for us. And what we find is when we start tapping into who God created us to be, we start looking at our giftings, we start looking at our passions, we start looking at what God has placed inside of us, and we work diligently in, in conjunction with what God's placed inside of our lives, that will bring fulfillment to our lives. That will bring some joy and some satisfaction to our lives. Why? Because you're partnering with who God created you to be. Now, does that mean we're not going to have bad days or bad seasons? Of course not. Does that not mean that we have to do jobs that we hate because that's what's required in the moment? Of course we're going to have to do that. We're talking about the overarching, the totality of your life, the long game. God created you for a purpose and a reason. And he created you for that purpose and that reason that you can leverage it in order to bring the provision into your life when you work diligently. Now, please hear me. I'm not trying to be judgmental. If you're here and you say, man, I've been working a job. I'm not making very much money because that's what I have to do. God bless you for that. Never feel ashamed to be working a job, even if you hate it, if that's what you have to do. Never feel that shame in your life because you're doing what God created you to do. But here's what I am saying is don't allow yourself to become a prisoner. I bet we could go around this room and almost every man in this room has done something he hated doing for a while because that's what it took to put food on the table for the family. But you were created for a reason, and you can work diligently to find that purpose and to put it to work in your life. In our diligence for work, we need to have a sense of realism in our work, though. The Proverbs give us a warning in chapter 27, verses 23 through 24. It says this, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. The reality is that the world is changing. And what this proverb is telling us is he said, you better watch the conditions of your flocks because wealth can dry up like that. So you better be on top of this thing. And what the scripture is trying to encourage us is, is to never get lax in our ability. And we live in a culture today where jobs are constantly changing. The type of work is constantly changing. There are jobs that are drying up because those industries no longer look the same or no longer exist. And so as Christians, we need to be diligent in our learning. We need to be diligent in our mindsets that perhaps we can be fluid to learn a new way and allow God to lead us in a new way. We need to be able to adapt. We need to be able to be on the move. Proverbs 22, 29 says, do you see a skillful man at work? He will stand before kings and he will not stand before obscure men. We need to be skilled in our work. Not only do we need to be diligent in it, but we need to be diligently trying to get better. When we're skilled, the original word and the original language talks about an excellence and workmanship. So even if you're at a job you don't like, we can still be diligent. We can still be skilled in that job. We can show up to create excellence every day that we're there. We can do a little bit more than is required. We can come in a little bit early. And I believe that's how we as Christians should live because the world should see something different about us. Not only can our diligent work and skillful work bring the provision of God into our lives, but it can also be a testimony to the world that there's something different about us. And it honors God in the process. And what I think you would see in your life and what people experience is, is that when you start having this mindset shift where we're diligent in work, we're trying to be skillful in our work, is that there's a shift in how you view work. You start to look for the prize in your job as a job well done versus a paycheck. If you're showing up for work just for the paycheck, 
I promise you, it's not going to be very long before it's a drain on your soul. But if you show up, work every day and say, God, I just want to do a good job, and I want the prize to be satisfaction of doing a good job, I promise your perspective will change on your work. Thomas Jefferson said this very famous quote. He says, I believe in luck. I just find the harder I work, the more luck I have. And there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. Principle number one is get the right perspective on wealth. Get it in order. Principle number two is diligent work is the pipeline of wealth. Principle three is that you either manage your money or you will give it to someone who manages theirs. You manage your money or you're going to give it to someone who manages theirs. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and what like an armed man. As Christians, we're to be diligent in work, but we're also called to be good stewards. Notice the ant. That's what the Proverbs calling us to do. A simple creature who works very diligently to store up food for the winter. Basically, this ant is budgeting and managing the wealth it gathers to meet its needs. And that is a word that most of us will hate to hear, the B word, budgets. How many of you hate budgets, right? So it's like it's a drain on my soul to sit down and to write down a budget. But budgeting is a principle in which you take every dollar you get and you give it a name and you apply it to something in your life that is a need and make it work for you. So if you make $100 a month, you sit down and say, what are my needs? What is the assessment? I'm going to give $10 to tithe. I got $15 in rent, we wish. With $20 in food and $5 in utilities, that leaves me $50 at the rest of the month. Now I got to put some tires on the car and I got Christmas around the corner and we'd like to go on a vacation every once in a while and I want to retire someday. There's a lot of things that our money needs to do and we better steward it and put it to work. Otherwise, it's going to disappear. You put your money to work, you manage it or you're going to give it to someone who manages theirs. That was the thing I heard whenever I started getting some coaching. I listened to Dave Ramsey. I went through and did the financial piece, read the book, the whole nine yards and it changed my life. If you're at a place where you want your finances to change, I highly recommend buy the book, read the book, apply the book, and you'll see something change in your life. And that one line that he said that woke me up, he said, you start managing your money or you're going to give it to someone who does. Walmart is very good at managing their money. And so if you don't manage yours, you're going to give it to them. Amazon is really, really good at managing their money. Apple is very, very good at managing their money. And a lot of us, we are not good at managing our money, and we have given it to them. And they're managing it for us. The problem is is they don't give it back to us, right? Like they have it, and they're keeping it. And so what Scripture is teaching us is that wealth is accumulated little by little. You know what you will not read in the Bible? Do A, B, and C, and you will get rich quickly. There's not any scripture saying that. Everything in regards to wealth teaches us from the scripture that you accumulate it a little bit by little bit by little bit. So if you want to go on vacation someday, or you need to buy a new car, or you want to retire, you have to budget and you have to save in advance. You have to be like the ant. You have to work and store it away for the time in which you need it. That's what the ant does. But what we do in America is instead of budgeting, we get credit cards and we get credit. 
And you know what debt is? Debt is modern-day slavery that you submit yourself to. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Consumer debt is crushing us in America. So we exchange the working of budgets and delayed gratification for instant access to money. Credit is instant access to money that you did not have to work for. It's instant access to money that you did not have to learn how to manage and steward. It's money that came to you easy, but it doesn't come to you cheap, and it comes with a chain. And that chain is a piece of paper that they're going to send you in the mail every month saying, you owe us X amount of dollars. And if you don't give us X amount of dollars, then we're going to add more dollars to it because you're late. And then when you really don't do anything, then we're going to come take all that stuff back, and we're still going to make you pay us. It's slavery that we submit ourselves to. So you need to ask yourself before, I'm not telling you that all debt is bad, I'm just telling you this, you need to ask yourself before you buy something on credit, do I want to be a slave to this thing? Most of us probably don't have the cash around to go buy a brand new house. So you got to weigh that. Okay, we need somewhere to live. Do I want to be outside in the rain or do I want to be inside of a house? Yeah, I can do that. I want to be inside. Okay, new TV, 65-inch TV. $50 a month for the next 14 years. Do I really want to be chained to that TV? Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. We have to learn how to budget our money so that we can accumulate wealth. When we do that, things start to change in our life. And guess what? Here's what I noticed. Is that when you start looking at your money, God has provided for most of us everything that we need to meet our needs. But when you start budgeting your money, you start realizing the things that you really don't need. You know what most of us don't need? We don't need a brand new cell phone. That thing's like $1,000, $1,200. We're getting ridiculously expensive. Do you really need a new one? No, we don't really need one. You know what else we don't really need? Cable TV. Oh, football season's over. We don't need cable TV, all right? What we see a lot of times is because of the culture we we live in, we are told of all these things that we need. But when you sit down and you look at what you really have coming in and what you really do need, I really need somewhere to live. I really do need to eat, right? I really do need a car to get to work. My kids really do need clothes. There's a lot of things that we don't really need. And it allows us to exchange things that we don't really need for things that we really do want. A lot of us say, I'd love to take my kids on vacation. For a lot of us, we're like, but man, that's really expensive to do. But let me ask you this. Would you exchange a week of memory with your kids that they'll never forget for cable TV that you sit in front of for hours searching for something to watch? Is that an exchange that you're willing to make? Because a lot of us, if we cancel cable, we probably could go on vacation. And ask you this, would you exchange the vacation with your family for the latest phone? The one you have in your pocket's paid off and all the buttons don't work real well, but you still make a phone call on it. Or do you want to go get a new one? It's all about exchanging. All right, I'm moving on. Principle four, giving and spending reveal your heart and matters. Proverbs 11:18 says, The wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a reward. I need you guys to focus in on this last one because it's so important. I'm wrapping this up. I want to read that to you again. Proverbs 11:18. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. We have to understand that every dollar that leaves our hands, we are sowing into something. 
That could be at the gas station or it could be at church. It could be at, you know, uh, a theme park. It doesn't matter. You're sowing into something. And there are, f- there are three ways that you're spending money. There's three outcomes on how you're looking at it. What's mine is mine. That means I'm being selfish with my money. What's mine is yours. Excuse me. What's yours is mine, meaning I'm going to steal your money. Or what's mine is his, meaning I'm going to steward my money. So when I spend my money, I can spend it on me for selfish reasons. When I could spend money, I could steal it from you and then spend it on me for selfish reasons. Or I can say what's mine is really his and I need to steward it accordingly. So how are you sowing your money? God's commandment throughout scripture is that the first place we sow our money is into his kingdom. This is why tithing is such an important concept and principle. Perhaps you've heard this expression in church on tithing. It's a scriptural perspective and principle that we see play out from the beginning of the book all the way through. And the principle is this, that God has brought us provision and our responsibility is returned to him the very first portion of that to show him that we trust him. The tithe is 10% of your income. And in context of modern economy, modern economics be 10% of your pre-tax income. That is what I do. That is what charity does. That is what uh, our deacon board do. We believe in the principle of tithing. Now, there's a misconception that a lot of people say that tithing was an Old Testament principle that is, was abolished with Jesus. However, what you read about when it comes to finances and giving is that tithe is actually a principle that predates the Old Testament altogether. It goes all the way back to the very first people. When you read in Genesis chapter number four, you see that Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, brought a first fruits offering to God, and he was blessed for that. Abraham, before the law was given, brought a tithe to the Lord. So the scripture teaches us that giving of our increase to the storehouse is a principle that God has for us. Many of you are familiar with Malachi 3, 6 through 12. It says this, for I, the Lord God, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. That's a good thing right? We wouldn't want to be consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing on you until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that when it comes, it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord was commanding his people. He says, bring to me the first fruits, bring to me the tithe and test me in this because everything about life is about trusting God and obedience. And God's even saying, I need you to trust me with your finances. I'm the one that's providing it all to you anyways. I'm the one that's bringing you all the provision. Now just trust me with the first little bit of it. If I came to you and said, Hey, I got a deal for you. I got a brand new $100 bill in my pocket and I'm going to give it to you. You can have all of it except I just want $10 back. You would make that exchange. Why? Because you're like, I'm getting $90. And what God is trying to say is this. He says, I'm the one that's bringing provision. Now, our thought is, wait a second, I was the one working. Yeah, but God gave you the mind, the body, 
the ability, the talent, the giftings, in order to work. And because of that, it was his provision in your life that gave you the ability to bring that finances to you. There are some people among us that cannot work. They don't have the ability to. But I think that if they could tell us, they would tell us, I would love to be productive with my life. And what God is saying is, I'm just asking you to trust me with the first of the provision. And here's what he said, test me in this and see if I will not bless you. Perhaps you've heard this before, that God does not want us testing him. He says he'll be our you know, watchman, he'll take care of us, he'll be our shield, but you just go jump off a big building and you're going to hit the ground. Why? Because God's like, you're being an idiot and you put me to the test. But this is the one thing that he says, test me in this. Test me in this. I want you to know, I, I've said this from the pulpit several times, I do not know who gives what to this church. I do not look at giving records. I don't know what you give. You came to me and said, who gives the most? I don't know. Came to me and said, who gives the least? I don't know. I don't care. That's not for me to know. It's between you and between God to know that. But here's what I do know. Is I do know people who come to me and say, hey, I'm a tither. Let me tell you what God does in my life. And those people have nothing to gain by telling me that other than they're just testifying to the goodness of God. It's amazing how I felt like God has led us over the years and how he constantly returns that back to us in ways that I don't even understand. He says, test me in this. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you say, you know what, man, my finances, it has been a drain. It is month to month. I want to challenge you. Are you tithing? And I want to encourage you, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Just see what happens. If it doesn't work, you can always go back to not tithing. We're not going to chase you down. We don't even know. It's between you and God. But I encourage you, just see what God will do in your life. From there, as he drops things in your heart, be generous. Be generous. Be generous. What I've learned in my personal life is the more open-handed I am with the things that God has given me, and I'll let things go, the more he tends to put it in my hand. It's unbelievable how that works. And I know that it will work for you as well. I want to close with this. The worship team wants to come back. Thank you for bearing with me this morning. I know that this has been a lot, but I truly believe the Lord wants us to be blessed in our finances. I truly believe when you live these four principles, knowing that wealth is about the right perspective, knowing that diligent work is the pipeline to your wealth, knowing that you're either managing your money or giving it to someone who manages theirs, and that giving and spending reveal, reveal the matters of finances in your heart, that God is going to bless you. So what's the ideal with our money? Like when we have money, what is the ideal? What should be the end goal in the life of a believer? And here should be the end goal. Daily bread. Proverbs 30 verses 8 and 9 says this. Words are so profound. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of God. Wealth in the life of a Christian is about honoring God. We shouldn't strive to be filthy rich and we shouldn't strive to be in poverty. We should strive to have our needs met so we can provide for our family, so we can be generous, and we can advance the kingdom of God. And when that is our perspective, when that is our goal of finances, then you're positioning yourself where you can be a channel of resources that God can pour into your life, and he can bless and minister to other people. So as we're starting this new year, 
perhaps you're here where money has been the tightest it's ever been in your life. I want to challenge you. Sit down. Take stock. Evaluate where you're at with your finances. Evaluate if you're living according to the principles of God. See where you can adjust. See how you can honor God better. And try it. God said test him to see if it worked. If you would, will you please stand with me this morning?